Do you enjoy the content that we provide at Hockey Hurts? Do you do any holiday shopping on Amazon.com? Then click on the Amazon banners on our Hockey Hurts website before making any of your Amazon purchases. We get a kickback, you get to buy something that you like, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. It's like the Patrick Hornquist, James Neal trade. It's a win-win. Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hurts. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for December 21st of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we are going to touch on the Taylor Hall topic. Um, Trade rumors abound, potentially. Um, We're also going to touch on the role of the pest-slash-deterrent kind of player, namely Steve Downey and... The double-edged sword that he is with being able to be a productive player and also a gong show all in one <laughs> all in one um so we're gonna start with those two topics and as we always do we usually find ourselves leading into some other ones but we're gonna we're gonna start with taylor hall um oilers had that weird press conference where they kind of uh, Craig McTavish came out and said that, uh, you know, basically was, trying not to blame himself. <laughs> was was that weird, or was having Dallas Aitkins actually have his press conference basically as an oiler? With you know, it wasn't like he did it. Out, you know what I mean? Like that was almost like I think that was weirder than McTavish because you're right. McTavish got up there and just said, "Don't blame me." That made sense to me, whether or not you agree with him, whether or not you agree with him that it's not his fault is irrelevant. But I think having Dallas Eakins out there going, stay the course, believe in what they're doing here and all that sort of stuff, I can't believe the club let him do it, to be honest. I'm not sure the club had anything to do with that one, though. What? So there was all those Oilers signs behind him and all that sort of stuff? Oh, they did? Yeah, that's the bit. I just heard the the audio. Um, Yeah, that's the bit that I found odd about it. I think it was more or less Dallas Eakins just trying to leave on a good note, not burning bridges. You know, if he comes, if he leaves the organization with, you know, grenades in his hand ready to drop them, it makes any future hires kind of a little bit tougher. Smart on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. But, um, but, but I, the fact of the matter, um, Darren Drager comes out and says potentially the they're going to shop him, and then Pierre LeBrun comes out and says Boston and uh, Pittsburgh will uh, be two teams to look at for it. And this is very intriguing to me because, you know, I think he's kind of the last guy they should be trading. That's the bit that I... You know, I, I fully understand why Oilers fans cut sick at Drager coming out and saying, oh, they're going to move Taylor Hall. Because I, I, you and I both think that they shouldn't. You and I both think that it's absolutely ridiculous that they're thinking about it. It just feels like me, to me, like he's just gone, oh, we'll just pull a name out of the four untouchables or three untouchables that they've got over there. And then LeBrun's probably looked at the rosters and gone, these are two rosters that would fit really great. I don't think either Pittsburgh or Boston have got enough to go back the other way to warrant the Oilers even considering trading Hall. Um, I think the Penguins could. It would not be, without, it would be not, an overpayment of sorts, but yeah, they could. I think. I don't. 
yeah, uh, look, I don't think that it's it's really one of those things where you get there with Taylor. He would be great next to Sid or Gino. Yeah, you can't argue that, but you go, one of the things that the Penguins look better at this year is they've got a lot more depth. I think that it would be silly for them to tear apart the a lot of that defensive depth that they could get multiple assets for rather than just one, no matter how good Taylor Hall would look on either of those top two lines. And I look at the Boston roster as well, and you go, well, they struggle to be cap compliant at the start of the year. Where can they go and fit $6 million worth of, of cap into that roster? Like, what are they going to have to ship out? Lucic or what? I mean, if I'm Edmonton, I don't... Well... I don't want Lucic to begin with because I think he's no. overrated, but Correct. you know that's the kind of player <laughs> that they'd probably look for. That's so there's six up. mil. Um, a guy like Tory Krug, which they could um, have cost control over, I believe. Uh, Krug, is Krug still in RFA? I know they signed him to a one-year deal. Let's see. Yep, he's in RFA, so they'd still have control over him. He's a defenseman. They need them. And if they threw him a guy like Dougie Hamilton, which I don't think would be smart on the Bruins' part, but they could sweeten no. the pot with a guy like that. And then that's that's the thing. Like everything that we've just explained, then these are all movable parts. As in, it's possible to do it. But neither side out of the three teams that we've mentioned should be doing something like this. So I can understand why Oilers fans sit there and go, "What the f are all you guys talking about? You cannot <laughs> give giving us." They get there and they give the whole. This isn't like you know EA GM mode. It's not that you can't just you know that? accrue parts to make the sum of Taylor Hall and that's the swap. It doesn't. It this shouldn't really even be being discussed. Like we shouldn't be talking about it, but you kind of have to because it's it is a big deal. It would be a franchise changing option if they did decide to go ahead and move Hall. That's why stupid things like this that get said by by Drega cause this reaction. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I don't think Drager said that they are necessarily shopping him, but that they've admitted to be open to discussions, which is a little bit of semantics, but there is a, you know, there is a difference there. I can appreciate that difference, but it, it it's like who backgrounded him on that? Yeah. If I was the if I was the Oilers, I'd be getting the going, oh, who the hell is it that's gone on and put that out there? This hockey club at the moment is well, not in disarray, but it's a little bit of a mess. You don't need to go and add that in to make it harder again because well, everyone's going to lowball them. You know, we've discussed this a couple of couple of podcasts ago. Everyone knows that they're, they're up against it. They've got, they have assets there that you could move, but every club can get there and just lowball them at the moment. You're not well, gonna I think you lowball for a guy like Perron. I think you you come strong for Hall because the the return is so prime, in my opinion. You know, I just don't. Yeah, the, the, the assets are so great. You don't mess around. If you, if you think you got a chance at getting them, you don't have a problem paying fair price because he's great. Yeah, he's he's a yeah. top winger in the league. With the okay, so look at it this way: you get there and go. They're going to want. Look at it from the Penguins' perspective. You go. They're going to want to have someone that's tied up with some term, and they need someone on the back end. Who would you give them that you could actually base something around? Well, here's the thing that we should lay out about Taylor Hall. He's a top winger. He's cost-controlled at under-market value until the year 2021 at $6 million a year. He's 23 years old. How often do players like this come on the market, if indeed Never. he's on the market? Never. That's the, that's so the point. So if you're going to go all in on a trade, this one kind of sounds to me like the one you'd do it on um, for what you asked about specific to the Penguins, I mean, you're throwing guys like uh, Ali Mata out there. And that's, where, and that's where his shoulder becomes an issue. Well, yes, um, it does. That's that's a it's, unique thing. But, but as far as value, let's pretend the shoulder thing's not in play right now, but yep, yep, that's yep, the yep. kind of young 
defenseman that has a sample size in the NHL that's done a really nice job so far. Like, that's a starting point for a trade, yeah. at least. Oh, no, like, you, you certainly not add... the end point. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the, you throw the, in the... Brandon Sutter, first-round pick, and uh, you're probably getting yep. closer. Maybe not. You'd there. have to give another one of those. You'd have to give him another one of those defensive prospects that they've got. Or Nick Spalling. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> but you'd have to give up someone like Harrington or Dumoulin to because they need they need help on that back end. If they can actually get some help on that back end, that team I think suddenly becomes a lot better, even if you do lose Hall. But you get there and go, Oli Marta would almost become their top pairing defenseman. He was for Pittsburgh last year many yeah, times with the injuries. So he, he but that's my point. He that's a guy that is young also cost control. Cost control. No yeah. trade. It doesn't have a no trade clause and has that NHL sample size. So, um, yeah. And I have no idea if Taylor Hall has a no trade clause or not. So I apologize for that, but I can't imagine that he would, um, decline for either of LeBron's Pittsburgh or Boston examples. No, that, that that would help the yeah that would help the cause I suppose for for both of those teams they're both considered um, top notch organizations at the moment unless you're talking about Pittsburgh's medical staff yeah um, but as far as like you know you 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 said you'd have concerns at least before the podcast um, about trading a lot of that defense depth that the Penguins have built up. But... Just for one answer, though, that's all. It's like they've got enough assets in that back end there that they can actually acquire a couple of assets and fill out the depth down the roster and have that trickle-down effect. It's, it's like yeah. it feel like they just lose one extra player in regards to being able to fill the depth down. I mean, you get there and you grab Taylor Hall and you simplify it and you go, well, you go, Hall, Crosby, Kunitz, um, or Hall, Crosby, Hornquist, Kunitz, Malkin, Como, and it's that Como one that sort of ticks oh. me a little bit. Yeah, I, well... I know he's not healthy, but, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's always going to be the flip of the coin. And you get there... Asbury Kapanen. You honestly think he'll be able to get back and play at this level after his team finishes over in... No, I'm not talking this year. You have Taylor Hall on a potential trade till 2021. This isn't a this-year move. This is a very long-term move. I legitimately think that this particular roster has the structural dynamics in place that it hasn't had for the last couple of years that it can contend now. I don't want them to give up the house for a... a, um... But who from the house are you really giving up for this year, though? I suppose it's a fair argument. Yeah, I suppose Chris yeah. Ehrhoff and Martin are both on IR right now, and the Penguins fielded a better defense core than half the league the other night, and a lot um, of them were youngsters. You, you were pretty bullish on, on Ehrhoff re-signing Jan 1 when he's allowed to. You still bullish on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the I, I actually think that Rutherford will make his moves um, – around middle of jet because he'll have that decision made and he'll have that signed if it's going to happen um, and that'll give him the flexibility that he wants. I usually don't make a habit of going against Elliot Friedman's reports in this 30 thoughts. Now mind you, yeah. those ones are from like August, but... I mean, things could have changed, but yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah you're a ballsy guy. You want to have a first-hand source to tell you otherwise, wouldn't you? But but say hypothetically, Mata, Sutter, the first, and either Harrington or Dumoulin. You know, that's a lot of D to throw out there, but you're still talking Derek Pouliot, who made his NHL debut the other, or last night. Pretty nice goal. <laughs> first ever shot, but... Um, yeah. Was that his first shift or not? No, he did not pull the Mario Lemieux. Why, uh... Still impressive, but um, but you still you could 
Pouliot, Dupre, Erhoff, Martin, Latang just for this year and throwing Bortuzzo slash Scuderi, it's still all right. <laughs> and you got Taylor Hall. Yeah, look, your argument, your argument's good. I can understand Some the argument. Some people don't like the the step down from Sutter to Gotch, but well, you you see, and that's the, that's the argument. You you're confident that he can do the role required of a third line center, defensive a lot of people, center. Yeah, correct. So you're asking a slightly different approach to that line than he, what Sutter. He will can not do. drown in possession if you give him quality third line wingers. And if you're going to load up with Taylor Hall in the top six, and you have some of that other talent, all right. You know, so if you're you're, you're, go, you're only if you're the Penguins, you're only going as far as Crosby and Mel can take you, anyways. And with Flurry playing yeah, well, right. yep. you know, you you got something there. Yeah. Okay. I just get there and look at it though, and I don't. I I sort of I try and think back to that cup year, which was ages and ages ago. But they had three lines that could actually push possession, and I think about Gotch. And whilst I think he'd be competent enough to not get shots against, I don't think he's competent enough to get shots for, even with better line mates than he's had on that fourth line. And so you get there, and it's like how much work is going to have to be done in your own defensive third, whereas at the moment, the third line feels as though it doesn't get stuck in there as much. Mind you, though, the last two games would prove me otherwise. So six or one, half a dozen of the other, I suppose. Well, I, I guess the thing, I don't view Brandon Sutter as a third-line center. No, you, I you view him as a low-end 2C. Two, yeah. Two because yep. um, without the quality wingers, he he does not drive possession. He, I I don't think he's a pig defensively by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't I don't know. I, I just don't think he's excellent in that area either. I think he skates really well through the neutral zone, and I think he's got a great shot. And I think yeah. that's opened up when he plays with Malkin and Como. Yep, but. He's not playing with Malkin and Como in a third center role, and that's and that's where actually we, we were talking about this before the the podcast. And I know you hate this argument, but that's where I think that if you got there and say the Penguins did the unthinkable and actually got Jeremy Yeager right, and you argued this quite well with me, if you got there and put Sutter with Yeager, I know you get there and you go, you don't get Yeager to play with. Um, I'll paraphrase, Brandon Sutter. Um, it gives the Penguins three deep lines that can actually be an offensive threat because you've got someone that actually can help Brandon Sutter get the most out of his offensive ability while still not being a defensive liability. And, and that's probably where I'd, I'd be happy to put Jeremy Yeager, even with the roster the way it currently is. And there's plenty of reasons to put him in those top two lines, but if you want to have three offensive lines... Well, three three lines that can cause a threat going in the offensive zone, that's where I'd put Jaeger. And if you need to, push him up to get the other two guys going. If you have to get the other two guys going, who's better to do that? So we're on a Jaeger watch? I know you want to be. I, I always want I'm to be. <laughs> I always want to be. Um, I know. I know. And... Um, Previous guest of the Hockey Hurts podcast, Todd Cordell's article in Hockey Buzz today, um, kind of spearheaded that for me because uh, he, he does great work uh, at Hockey Buzz on the Devils. And the way they've been playing, he's kind of lost hope as far as the playoffs are concerned. He thinks the roster's too old, and he thinks they'll start trading people. So we can blame Todd for our Yager <laughs> uh, watch uh, send-off right now. But... Um, there ain't no effing way I'm putting Yager in a freaking third line role. <laughs> no, I, yeah, and look, you, you make that argument. Jesus Christ, Jersey, you've got 30 points. They're 26th in the league. I now understand why Todd got there and said, I think they might want to try and get younger and trade off some assets. Yeah, they, they got a lot of older veterans. They were a yeah. good possession team last year, but they didn't have finishing ability. So what they did was they signed another older guy, in Camilleri and a guy like Havlet 
and it hasn't translated to success Not. this year. No, so, it hasn't at all. But Yager's still awesome. Yeah, uh, he's, he, he's 42. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, look, it's a yeah, it's an argument for another day, I suppose. But yes, you're. I understand why you wouldn't want to put him on a third line. It's just one of those things where you go. The last couple of years, people have complained about him running out of legs when it's got deep in the playoffs, and it might be one one way to try and try and save his legs. But he know, doesn't need I'm, legs if he's with Sid or Gino. He just needs to to possess that wall like an animal and feed them in time and space. And he's certainly more than capable of that because ain't nobody better at protecting the puck and playing the wall and getting the puck to open space than him. You know what? You're exactly right. I don't think I've seen anyone protect the puck better than him ever. Ever. I I mean that. I truly do mean that. Ever. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. You're not going to hear me argue that. If if they – I don't think. I mean, Jersey have got a, a good goalie. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they they're going to do with him. Like, yeah, 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 mean, yeah. He's played almost like every game this year. It's incredible. Yeah, I know. And Kincaid's proven that he's not terrible. So I don't know why they're not playing Kincaid a little bit more often, just to make sure. What are they trying to make up for not playing him enough last year? A bit late for that now. Um, you just get there with the Devils and you go, you know what, if they bottomed out like they currently are and they stole one of those top two picks, you sort of get there with it and go, that franchise could turn around quite quickly. if they yeah, act- start to tank. Yeah, well, technically they kind of are without meaning to. So, I mean, Buffalo's playing themselves out of that <laughs> McDavid stakes at the moment. It's unbelievable. No, they should start dealing off some of their veterans. Yeah, well, Lou Lamorello doesn't feel like he sort of does that kind of stuff, but well, Lou's Lou's older and he probably doesn't care to go through a rebuild at this stage of the game. But um, you know, for, for crying out loud, they just signed Scott Gomez, and he's actually played all right. He's been playing with Jagger. Shouldn't be having to sign Scott Gomez. I think I think that's the argument, really. He's, he's done okay, though. Um, he's still yeah. one of the best zone entry guys I can remember. I mean, that guy used to fly through the neutral zone like no other. Um, but you're right, it's not 2003. <laughs> but, like, Patrick Eliash, Mike Camilleri, Ryan Klo, Tuomo Rutu, Michael Ryder, Yamir Yager, well, Ronnie been... Zubris, Marty Havlett. Scott Gomez. <laughs> These guys yeah. aren't young. That's a lot of names to where it is. And they are guys that you could legitimately ship out to teams that want that little bit. Of, you know, it's the whole rental aspect. But some of those contracts are a couple of years, if I'm thinking off the top of my head right. And you get there and go, what are you going to get back for some of those contracts? So even if Lou did decide he wanted to go and tank for – for whatever unknown reason, because you're right, he probably wouldn't, um, they're not going to get much back for him. Well, Ryder's a UFA, Yager's a UFA, Havlet's a UFA. So is Scott so, Gomez, believe it or not. Yeah, so you're going to end up with, what, third or fourth round picks for those guys? Not Yager. Yager has value. Yeah. I don't know. I just can't. I can't see teams. I can't see teams wanting to give up enough for Lou to bother doing the trade. I don't know. He's still one of the top possession guys in the NHL. Yeah. They had this this stat on the NHL Network, and I'm not sure where the heck they pulled their numbers from, but they had actual minutes and seconds that forwards had the puck on their stick per game. And I don't know if it's the NHL keeping this data. I assume it is because it's from the NHL network. Yeah. Yager was number one in the NHL at that. Go figure. So. Too Jesus. Now, you know the 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 puck on your stick doesn't necessarily or always 
doesn't mean you're always doing something with it, but you know, when you see a guy like Yager, um, yeah, I do trust the fact that if it's on his stick, something good's happening because he's the best European player of all time and probably right at the cusp, if not already, in the top five players of all time for my money. Yeah, I mean, the puck can sit on his stick for so long because he can protect it so well with his body, I mean... Yeah, but then he makes a play with it. But that does help. It's, yeah, you, you do kind of forget that not only does he hold the puck, but he does something with it most of the time. So it certainly helps the cause. All right, seeing as we're talking about a, uh, a Penguins legend, why don't we talk about a player that's supposed to have been settled down by another Penguins great and just can't seem to reel him in. Because Downey is a nutbag. <laughs> he's a he's a pretty good hockey player, but he's batshit crazy too. He's a nutbag. Um, oh. and, and, the, and the Panthers game last night's a really great kind of microcosm of this. Yeah, he um he takes a cycle down low, works it up the sidewall towards the hash marks, threads a great pass to the uh, rookie Derek Pouliot for the Penguins, who um, on his first ever NHL shot, uh, roofs it over Luongo. That's a really yeah, great I'm, play. That's a highly I'm, skilled I'm, play. That it, it's actually it's one of those things where the actual it's not just the, the cross ice pass; it's the vision. And the understanding of the way the team plays to actually get that pass across there. That's the other thing that I think is often forgotten sometimes. It's you've got to understand where everyone is on the ice. And he does. Like, he does actually have a decent hockey brain. But he then also flips out and turns into this nutbag of a... He had no reason to keep hitting good Branson while he was on the ground and get on the ice and get that 10-minute misconduct. He had done his quote-unquote job. No need for him to do that. The five-minute major was enough. Getting 15 minutes is just pointless. It takes him out of the game, and those great passes that he can do, well, great hockey plays in general that he can do, you don't get back on the ice to provide those. Yeah, um, but but that's that's the double-edged sword with him. Um, he does these really nice, like his wall play is terrific. Correct. Not Yammer Yager terrific, like we've been talking <laughs> about, but like really good. I, I'm very impressed with his wall play. He does an excellent job of um, protecting the puck. He does an excellent job of making area passes into these uh, kind of zones to his teammates to keep possession alive. Yep. He's skilled. Yep. But he's batshit crazy. <laughs> yep. And he is going to cost... He will cost the Penguins an important game. If he's on the third line because of the volume of minutes he'll play, he will cost the Penguins a game in the playoffs. And whether it's a game one it's technically irrelevant or whether it's game seven in a, in a series, he will cost them a game. Just because he is batshit crazy. And I understand that there are a lot of hockey fans that love what he does for a team that everyone considers needs to have that kind of protection. But he doesn't protect his stars. He goes out and makes the game even more volatile. That Florida Panthers game got even worse because of what he did. It didn't settle down. He didn't settle the game down. He made it more volatile, and you get there and go, I understand the thought process of having the deterrent on your team, but he is not that. He is like gasoline in regards to the physicality in games, and just, it goes nuts. Well, let's, let's for, for Steve Downey, for players like him, the argument is that they're deterrent against the, the actions against stars, correct? Correct. So give us the definition like you did in your article today. A thing that discourages or is intended to discourage someone from doing something. Well, last night, Willie Mitchell took Chris Letang's helmet and beat him over the damn head with it. And Dave Boland slashed Crosby in his hand, which thankfully it wasn't broke, but it very well could have been. He left the game and went to the locker room. These two incidents happened 
before Steve Downey went crazy last night fighting Gabranson. So if, if Downey's actually a deterrent, so having him on the roster is supposed to stop those two sorts of things from happening, it fails. It's a myth. Not him failing. He, like, the, the idea fails. It's a myth. Correct. He's a reactionary. I mean, having him on the roster is, oh, if that happens, he'll go try and beat the shit out of somebody. But it still doesn't change that Latang got beat over the head with his own helmet. The action that will cause the injury to the star has already happened. Steve Downey's presence in the game did not stop Willie Mitchell from clubbing Chris Latang over the head with his own helmet. It did not stop Dave Boland from slashing Sydney in his hand. No. So Bye. if they now worst case scenario and Chris Latang has some concussion past. Say he's concussed and Crosby breaks his hand and then Steve Downey goes beats the crap out of somebody. What the hell does that change? As you said it's reactionary. And don't get me wrong, he when he does lose the plot it's like it's like bad reality TV. You can't not watch it because it's it's pretty cool. You get oh, the games are more interesting. That, that yeah. you're not going to hear me say otherwise. But as far as like from a a coach's perspective, which is kind of how I I view the games, it's got to drag you crazy a little bit. Yeah. But as a fan watching it, you just go, holy smokes, that is good stuff to watch. And that's that's the thing. Like You want your team to, to win games. I don't think him doing what he does helps them win in the long term. Um, it certainly doesn't help them on at the one spot in that particular game. It certainly doesn't help there. So you get there and go, he needs to be playing a fourth-line role on that team because he is going to do something at the wrong time and cost them. You know, Gino does that enough. You don't need to have two guys there with the ability to do that. At least Gino's got more ability to make up for the stupid error. Yeah, but you know what? Latang got beaten over the head with his own helmet and Crosby got slashed and they both hooked up on a goal later in the game. That's that's where you'll you'll really hurt the other team. Um, the idea that players need to police the game, I think stated I think the league needs to grow a sack and start to penalize the actions that are on the ice and not rely on a guy who's as unstable as Steve Downey to do it for them. That's all right. They're chasing down the um, they're chasing down the diving, so they're obviously onto something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gino. And then Kamo. Yeah, and come out a couple of games earlier as well. So I've noticed that those, like the, one of the Como ones and one of the Geno ones was tripping. So, you know, you get there with it and go, I don't think it's that easy to to pretend that you've been tripped over on the ice. So it might be something that I don't know about because I haven't skated, but good grief. Yeah, the, the, the first... Um tripping or i'm sorry the first diving call against malkin last night you, you could certainly make an argument for it oh, yeah, yeah. uh the second one no he he's on the power play he's he's half leaping over a stick to gain entry into the zone um he has a full head of steam he's they're on the power play i i well i just don't see how him purposely falling is an advantage at that point in time yeah, I, I truly think that was a trip, and I think because of the one earlier, he earned that call. And and you know what, you get that little bit of a reputation, you can understand it, but that doesn't excuse the ref for not deciphering what is and what isn't. They should be um, able Competent to, enough to, to make the separation between the two. I thought that was a bad call, the second one. Yeah, I mean. There were a lot of power plays in that game, though. Like, well, I think it was five for six for Pittsburgh and five for Florida. So, I mean, that's eleven. That's at least eleven calls that were made. And one of the complaints that I made, I think it was last week, was they need to call the penalties, and teams either adjust or you just keep going on the power play and giving yourself a chance to score. So, I suppose in that sense, it wasn't too bad. But they just seemed like there were blatant ones 
both both sides, by the way, that were missed, and you just go, call them. You see them, call them. Don't not call it because you just called one. Call them when you see them. Don't don't adjust your your decision making because of the time of the game it is, or because you've already called three against that one team. If that one team's stupid enough to keep making mistakes and requiring to to give out penalties, then call them. No argument there. I I hate when legit penalties aren't called because of game circumstance. Dictates you're not supposed to hand the game. You don't want to be an official that affects the game. Well, that does affect the game. Just not as noticeable because you, you've kept it 5-on-5 five five as opposed to going, well, that should be a 5-on-4. Well, I have a chart you know, on my computer right now that, that shows that puck possession is not correlated at all with penalties called, which flies in the face of logic, in my opinion. You have the puck more, you drive and play more. I, I feel as though you probably should be drawing more penalties. It, that but it kind just of goes to show the human element of it all. Yeah. And, you know, you, you and I aren't expected to get it right 100% of the time. No, but come on. Because there's always a human error, just like the players. You can't go over six on the power play. No, but I tell you what, that's the best it's looked in a while. It's surprising what happens when you get some players back, isn't it? Yeah, the process is more important than the end result sometimes, so I think that process will win out over time. Yeah, it feels that way for me as well. Although I do feel as though... Great things happen when you feed Gino on the power play. So just what? feed him. Why is he so reluctant to shoot? I mean, you're a big proponent of him launching that that bomb of his, that he, and he's got it, but he just seems to not want to shoot. It's almost like he goes, I can't shoot this every time. I've got all these other players around here. I don't think they're really setting him up for that to be a like the primary play, I think that should be the primary play. Yeah, you've been big on that for a while. I think he should be on the the half wall. I think Sid should be at the goal line, and you know if if Latang is going to be the, the the quarterback, he needs to feed Malkin like Gonchar used to feed him. Yeah, that's. That's true. Really, think about those power plays from five years ago and just feeding Gino bombs. And when people overcompensated on Malkin's one-timer, the Penguins moved it to that left side and then fed Gonchar the bomb. Is it... They shifted the the shooting lane over. the, The thing with Seed on the goal line is I think he's great there. He does a lot of great work down there is would the assumption be that he's dictating. I want the half wall. That's where I want to be. So that's why they have Gino up high with the 10. No, I, no, no, I don't, I don't buy that. Sid's oh, been just... the left point. Sid's been the left half wall guy. Sid's been all over the last year in the power play. He needs to be either the half wall guy or the goal line guy on his uh, off wing. I, mean, I, think when he's on, I think when he's down low, he's he's mint. He he can feed anybody at any different angle, and he's one of the best um, deflectors. Yeah, I think of like guys like Sid and and Thomas Vanek as being some of the best def- deflection guys in the league. And who better to win a puck battle in the corner? Yeah, although I'd put Holmquist up there in regards to. Uh, winning puck battles. Um, no, the thing is, no, the... no one touches Sid in that regard. Sid can win a puck battle, bad. and and oh no, no, that's that's not my intent is to dis Hornquist. But when Sid gets the puck on a puck battle, the options are endless. Hornquist is kind of a straight line guy. Sid can do so many things, especially on a power play, if he wins a puck corner battle. Yeah, but if you have him out near the perimeter, he never gets to be the bulldog that he can be. No, that's yeah, it's a good point. Plus, it, let's be honest, his shot's not terrible, but it's 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 not a bomb. No, at least but I they've don't got think the bonus, it is. They do have the bonus of being able to put 
put Kunitz and Hornquist on five. They don't have to stick with just the one guy that's a net front presence. They've at least got options there now. Mm-hmm. So it helps their cause. It'd be nice to actually see that team with a full roster. It's like there's a, it's like the, the Blue Jackets. I feel, I said to you before the podcast, I reckon they'll make the playoffs. And then you tell me Boone Jenner's out for another two months with a fracture in his back and you go, Jesus Christ, they just can't have any luck, that team. They went on a, what was it, 9-1 and one run at one stage and you go, they're going to climb back in it. And it's almost like the tank it again and go for McDavid and have one of those years where you, your roster just needs to be wrapped up in cotton wool and, and get healthy again, and then you just blitz it the next year. So that's just that sucks for for Columbus. But as you said to me, they are in a good position long term. They're eight one and one in their last ten, and they're still nine points out of the playoffs. Nine points out of fourth in their division, but their division doesn't get four playoff spots right now. They only get three. Yeah. So, I mean, you had said to me beforehand that Boston's like an 18% chance to make it. It's like, really? Yeah, for now. They got Carter yeah, back, and we'll see. Yeah. Rask is playing well. But Columbus, they're 14-15-3. They're that doesn't sound playoff worthy. And that's after going 8-1-1. How many one and one runs do they got in them if the injuries keep piling up? I still reckon though, if you can get there and go, if you can go six one and three. So if you're losing games and you're still getting a point, and this is why, as you and I said, they need. Shit, that's 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 not easy. No, no, I appreciate that, but Bobrovsky is sort of playing out of his skin. He can put that team on his back and carry them. Like he can. Very true. And that's that's probably the difference with Columbus as opposed to some of the other teams that I mean you're you're backing Rask to be able to do that and he's proven he, he can. So can Bob. You're right. You're right. No, you're absolutely and that's right. The thing. And the the thing that goes against all this though is losing Boone Jenner again. I mean that's where you sort of just go that sucks. I mean you just it's just unfortunate for them that, that that's the case. Actually, you know what the. Metropolitan Division does have four teams in the playoffs at the moment. At the Pittsburgh moment. Islanders, Rangers, and Washington. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thunk it? Geez, the Rangers have won six in a row. Yeah, they're not bad. They're, was, they're eight a, and two in the last as, ten. Exactly. As a Penguins fan, I was kind of hoping they were going to just flop this year. But realistically, you look at them and you go, they are they are a pretty good roster. They should make the playoffs and. That eight-two runs uh, certainly helped them out. I mean, they've got a goal differential of plus twelve, so they're certainly doing well there. I had them out of the playoffs. They've they've done well before the year. That is. Yeah, it does help that um, Rick Nash's return to goal scoring form, even if he was um, possessing the puck well last year in the playoffs. You you have um, you have explained before. Uh, you were expecting him to be better than he was, and he has been. Oh, his PDO was Terrible. trash in the playoffs. Um, it was it was so low, it was embarrassing. Like, and people were on him like he was a bad player, but he was driving play. In fact, his possession's gone down this year, but his PDO is up, and now people think he's all great and good. Um, which you know you should be some. Him not scoring in the playoffs and him scoring in bunches this year, obviously goals are are the point of hockey, but you you, you do want to focus on the process at some point and, and say, he's really playing well. He's just got shit luck right now. Um, and that was the playoffs last year. And this year he's still playing well, but not as well, but the, the luck is really sky high. Yeah. And he certainly has the ability to, to score goals, and he is now. Um, do I expect that to continue with his PDO as high as it is? Um, not at the rate that he's at now, no. But I do still expect him to score goals. I don't expect it to, to drop like it did in the playoffs. Um, Last year. Actually. Ho- hockey's a fickle sport. Yes. Quick, quick question about fickle. 
if you were the Calgary Flames, would you have re-signed your coach to an extension <laughs> when they're trending the way they are? What, losing seven or eight in a row or whatever there? Well, they're 2-7-1 in the last 10. Yeah, Calgary was rocking a pretty sky-high PDO. They're still eighth overall in the league this year. Um, they, they were probably thinking that, oh, wow, this, this this coach is getting the most out of these guys. And, 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 and then regression has taken over. Because they've nosedived considerably, and I wasn't expecting it to be quite this sudden. I wasn't expecting them to stay in the playoffs. Um, I was this... expecting the nosedive out of the playoffs. I didn't think it was going to be like a very fun ski hill kind of deal. No, that's what I mean. I was expecting them to, to miss the playoffs, but instead of it instead of it being falling off a building, I was expecting it to be like an avalanche rolling down a hill. That's you know what I mean. I wasn't expecting it to be quite this severe, like this sharp. So. Their underlying numbers were terrible. Yeah. And what you need, and we've discussed this how many times? Yeah, I know. A team like Colorado last year, their underlying numbers were terrible. But Varlamov was awesome and a Vesna candidate. And they also had a high shooting percentage. Hiller's been okay. But not Vesna caliber. And he has to be better even, than okay over the year. You know, he's probably okay to above average, but you you can't sustain shitty possession. You just can't. Over well, the long haul, you just can't. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think for me, you can do it for a year. It's just sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Well, Colorado proved that it's possible, but yes, I mean, but they're the sometimes of it. I didn't say it happened every time. I'm no, agreeing no, with but, but, but that's <laughs> the thing, though. Like bad possession, very few times you get away with it. Most times you don't. Yeah. And Calgary is going to learn that most times you don't. But, this could, this but but could the coach be. really has been coaching them up. They've yeah. been trying really hard. I suppose he's getting the most out of the roster in that sense. So, yeah, I suppose if you're Calgary, you can see, as you said, you look at the process and the process is solid. Reward no, it's not process. solid. You don't think? You don't think he's developing the players the right way or is he just playing for wins? The process could not possibly be solid with the possession the way it is. The process... Process and possession go hand in hand. Okay. Like, if they were playing well, they'd have the puck. Or at least driving the puck towards the other team's net, right? That's not to say they don't have some good players. I, I, I think Johnny Gaudreau is pretty fun. Yeah, Giordano as well. Oh, well, yeah. He, she, he's certainly... Um, last year probably should have been a Norris finalist, and this year maybe he will be with um, people focusing on the advanced metrics more. He's been great. Yeah, he has been. But a lot of that roster's not. They just don't have a lot. So if if Calgary continue this sort of – because it's a severe spiral right now – so say this spiral continues, should they look at trying to move a couple of assets out so that they can bottom out for that bottom five slot? Or should or are they going to end up like you know Toronto has and they've usually ended up just outside the playoffs but not the spot for a decent pick? I'd look to deal a Curtis Glencross, guy that's a UFA. Yeah. Um, I'd look to deal Derek Englund's contract, but I don't think you'll find any takers for it. If I read a heading somewhere that even he was surprised he got what he got, which is exactly right. But, yeah, no one's going to take that contract on. 
I still remember the day that contract was signed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bob McKenzie put out the tweet that Derek England signed for three years, $2.9 million. And then he had the follow-up tweet that said $2.9 AAV. <laughs> like, I had just, already tweeted uh, out that I thought the deal was crappy, even if that was for three years. And then I found out that was what it was worth for each year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, I'm, he was a healthy scratch the other night, too. Actually, you see, now, I, I don't mind that, the fact that that's 3 point what that they've sat on the bench? 2.9. There you go, 2.9. So they've got their on 2.9. He's not offering us what we need. Sit him. Yep. I get there with Nick Spalling, and it's 2.2 per year. If he's not playing fourth line minutes at 2.2 or sitting, the Penguins haven't worked out their roster properly. I said this to you before the start of the podcast. I don't care if Pittsburgh end up having $6 million in the press box come playoff time because Scuderi should not be out there. Well, here's the thing that you're going to battle against. People are going to say that he's playing better. No, he's penalty-killing. Well, well, no, and that's perhaps that is true. But people's standard of Scuderi playing better is on the Rob Scuderi standard. That's your, not the uh, actual that, standard that you want things to be your, on. That was your Mark andre Fleury argument as well. Well, he's playing at a Vesna caliber thing right now, so um, he's going above and beyond even his most staunch supporters. Yes, yes, imagined. he is. Yes, yes, he is. I mean, he's he's great this year. I he's number two on my Vesna to Pecorine right now. Um, does that change how I think that position? No. Hard, of course not. Uh, is he going to carry that standard for the next five years? I don't know. I think this I, is doubtful. This, to me, this feels like a alarm of you. Like this feels like a career year. Like I don't think he'll be. reach these numbers statistically again. Um, but if he only has a small drop off from this for the next four years of that contract, well, that's a win. That's obviously yeah. a win. Exactly. But why? Why would I? Why would people like myself ignore eight, nine years of data that say absolutely the opposite, and all of a sudden magically um, something happened and he's great? Yeah. I, and well, if, I, I and if I, that something magic was. Mike Johnston's system or Mike Bell's the goalie coach. Yep. Here's the beautiful part about both of those. That's not a that success isn't in a vacuum to just Mark Andre Fleury. The 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 coaching system and the goalie coach. Guess what? They help out no matter what goalies on the roster. So that. No, but I think. I mean, I I'm think... not trying to. No, 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 no. I just think that Fleury's ceiling in regards to being a goalie that can provide what you want is higher. And it's, sometimes it's the argument that you make in regards to who would you rather play, Scuderi or, or Bortuzzo, or Scuderi or Despray, right? Well, the ceiling is a lot higher for Despray in regards to Scuderi, so they shouldn't be playing Scuderi over Despray, which happened last year. And you get there and go, you live with the mistakes that you get with the spray. And it's like Fleury seems to be in a situation right now where he is getting the absolute most out of the high ceiling that he he. I don't think there's any argue in that. No, and right. the thing is, though, those two things that you mentioned that have changed have offered him that opportunity to do it. I don't know if he goes into a different situation next year. So say he got traded next year and went into a different situation. I don't think he'd reproduce. I don't think he will reproduce these exact numbers again next year. But I do not foresee that drop-off, him falling back to his career numbers because he is in a much different situation. He sees a hell of a lot more shots than what's 
than what he did last year. He actually sees the shots a lot more. He's nowhere near as skittish in the net as he has been his entire career. Even last year when Mike Bales had already taken over to help him out, he still had that flighty feel about him. The last three weeks watching the Penguins, he hasn't looked anywhere near as jittery. Um, he hasn't doesn't seem to overcommit as much as he used to. There have been a lot of changes in the way he plays that would give people like myself, who are really big fans of him, um, hope that he, that hope that he can repeat. I do look at the position differently to you in regards to what value you can get out of it. You'd like just average and then put the the money that you save on average into the rest of the roster, which should protect that average goalie. So we just look at the position slightly differently. And you're more than happy for him to succeed. Yes, this yes, is very, good. very true. <laughs> it's not I like think he's, I think he's um, one of the best as far as entertainment value goes. Yeah. In hockey, good. and we, we watch for because we want to be entertained. And you're right. He's not as skittish. And um, whether that's Mike Bells, and if we are going to sell that, I guess my, my counter-argument to that is Mike Bells also works with whoever is on the Penguins. So yeah. Mike Bells is this some kind of dog whisperer, then it, then it works for no matter who. Well, no. on the roster, not just him. So no. you get what I'm saying? No, I get what you're saying, but it comes down to the relationship. So this is this is where the relationship with the player and the coach, no matter what the coach is, is for. Like when I when I train people for their fitness and stuff, there are some people that get great results because the communication and the relationship is fantastic. There are other people where for whatever for whatever reason you just don't quite see eye to eye. And, and that in re, it is in regards to the delivery of, of what you're, you're trying to, to get these people to understand and then being able to understand it. And that relationship between the coach, whether it's the goalie coach, the strength and conditioning coach, the head coach, the defensive coach, um, you know, the coaches that are looking after the power play and the penalty kill, if they can't communicate properly to the players or to that player specifically, then it, it, the the dog whisperer thing that you were talking about doesn't work. So certain expert coaches don't work with certain players because they just don't have that relationship. So it's one of those things, it's one of those intangible things that you can't quantify. Well, <coughs> excuse me. You, no arguments there. You're right. Sometimes the, a coach or, you know, I, I'm a teacher yeah, you you connect with the student and it just it just works. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and this is probably a specific case of that. Who's but, the, the the judgment will be next year whether he repeats this again next year and you can go all right. It, it's definitely those two changes have definitely helped this one particular player play well. It's the same thing with Latang. You look at what he's produced so far this year. And his game in itself just looks better. He looks much more comfortable doing what well, he's doing. Well, he's come out in the last few days and, and actually kind of not directly but indirectly took a jab at the Bilesma system and, and why that is he's finding success this year because he basically called out the former system and, and praised the new one. Yeah. So it's helped. It's helped everyone. If your if your best puck moving defenseman isn't making what you'd consider simple errors because his brain's thinking rather than just playing because they were so structured in regards to what they do, um, then yeah, your goalkeeper's going to be better. He's not going to have. He's not going to be as skittish just because he's not having to worry about turnovers and having to go left to right all the time. So. That change in philosophy in regards to how the game is played has, has certainly helped out that entire roster. I legitimately think Dan Bilesma could get there right now, go and coach that Edmonton Oilers team the way it's currently constructed, and he would he would improve that roster substantially purely because his system doesn't rely on high skill. 
He just happened to have high skill. I legitimately think that his system brings high skill down but brings bad bad skill up. So the yep. gap between the top and the bottom is smaller, so there's less room there's less room for areas. Now, when you get highly skilled, highly talented players playing in that system, Letang is a really good example of this. He goes to do something that's outside of that system. He makes errors. They're gaffs. They are massive errors. So he has to go and reel back what his high-quality skills. It's why Paul Martin works so well in that system. Paul well, Martin doesn't work well in any system. Correct. He know he yeah. He's very cerebral. You've used that word with Martin a lot, but it doesn't work for high end skilled players. It brings this what makes them brilliant down a couple of notches. But Bosman's system also enables pluggers like Derek England, Craig Adams. Um, who else is there? Tanner Glass. Uh, Tanner Glass. Although those, it didn't save him from being a pig. No, but those sort of guys, for want of a better way to look at it, succeed in that system, and you go. Fills out because the Penguins' bottom six was terrible, but Bosma's sister covers that off as much as it can until it you start year. until you start playing against teams that are quality teams. So I think Latang sort of has a gets the idea in regards to going well. This system allows me to play to my strengths, not hold back in my strengths, and that's why at the start of the year when the Penguins' roster was healthy. They actually looked like they were having fun. It looked like they were ha- they were having fun playing hockey again. So I legitimately think Bosmer is a really good coach if you put him in a particular circumstance. It's like Laviolette doing so well with with Nashville. He'll wear out his welcome eventually because that's just the way he is as a coach. But he's opened up so many options for that team in regards to utilizing the talent that's there and, and getting the most out of it rather than constraining the top end stuff and and, and bringing the lower end stuff up. I hope that makes sense. Makes total sense. At least to me. Yeah. But I mean, you, look at, you can look at Chicago. I mean, Quenville's done a brilliant job of getting as much as he possibly can out of his top-end stuff, particularly this year because he's obviously lost a little bit of depth in places. Next year will be really hard for him. Nope, no arguments. Well, I think I'm, I think I'm talked out. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Hockey-wise, nope. I don't think there's anything else. Nope. The only thing I'm going to add, it's on a football note, Buffalo Bills had a bad loss today. Oh. Yeah, well, you know, don't you don't have to make that noise. That's, that's commonplace so, the last 15 years. Um... Hang on, didn't that just cost them a playoff spot, though? It eliminated them from playing for one next week, depending on what other teams did. Good grief, what a bloody... Well, they lost to a really shitty team today. The Raiders are like three and... I don't know, whatever the hell they are. They're three and whatever now. Three and too many. Yeah, like 10 or 11, 12. Three and 12. They're three and twelve now. Okie dokie. But the Bills coach is a coward. He punts the ball. He chooses. He elects to to punt it away all the time. They had a fourth and one at midfield. They chose to give the ball to the other team, and they marched down and got a touchdown and put the game out of line. And they need to get rid of Doug Marone, their coach. I know this is a hockey podcast, but I'm so. <laughs> I'm so sick and goddamn tired of watching a coward coach a team. So give me somebody progressive. They have a good roster. They have a bad quarterback situation. The only, way, the only way to improve the bad quarterback situation is to have progressive coaching philosophy in this day and age. And they just got a guy stuck in the 1960s. He sucks ass. So if you're looking for someone progressive, do you get that from someone else's coaching staff or do you go to the college system where I would assume that's where the progressive thought processes are coming from in regards to coaches? Um, You find it wherever you, you can find it. And I think the nice thing about the Buffalo Bills now is that they have Terry Pagula, the Sabres owner, yeah. who's not afraid to spend money. And 
They just need to target somebody who's progressive and pay him all the money. Okay. So, yep, that's my Buffalo Bills rant. I <laughs> did not expect them to make the playoffs, but I also did not expect them to um, Get just peter out because the coach is a um, just a suck-ass coward. Caught that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Usually I stick... My hockey-related material, I, I try to stay professional. My football stuff, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a fanboy on it. So, um, <laughs> you know, 15 years, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The the last time they made the playoffs is my senior year in high school. I was 20. Jesus, that is a while ago. 32 years old, for crying out loud. Oh, Christ. Yeah, I was at uni still. My goodness. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, okay. Let's stick to the old football script. It hasn't worked for 15 years, but we're going to stick to it. Do you do you have hope that Pagula will yeah, make he'll a kill this clown? Yeah. They can't lose a game like they did today. They actually had a lot of things happen today where they could have potentially made the playoffs with a win last week. So, I'll end there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hijacked my own podcast to talk about the Buffalo Bills, but uh, I know my analytics buddy Travis Yost feels the same way. He's a Bills fan as well, so Jeez, he's a suffering fan, an Ottawa fan, and a Bills fan. Trust me, he knows. Yeah, I'm sure he does. That sucks. So, um, f you, Doug Marone. Thanks for punting away the season. Um, I'm on holiday break, so hopefully uh, me and Cameron can can give you a few more podcasts um, while I'm on break. But that's all we have for this week. So I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Wall.